Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of LA, the show of making lots of money, but not making lots of money in the music industry. That's right, today is a great chat as kind of the music industry unraveled in the face of Napster in the early 2000s. Mr. Aaron Beavers was there, a musician in his heart toured, made lots of records, and is still chipping away on that guitar and singing those brilliant songs. But also, there was this beautiful convergence of the booze industry, the hospitality industry, that took Aaron's career even further into this latest chapter with Beam Suntory. Hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Aaron Beavers. Lennon would have been grilled. We were going to call her McCartney. Uh, oh, nice. So it would have been one That's of the That's kind two of an of insult to Paul, though. It, it, it is. But, <laughs> but the he really, is the more the, feminine one, the right? The truth is, is that George Harrison is my favorite Beatle. Oh, yeah. But my last name is Beavers. So I didn't really want to name my kid Harrison Beavers because he would have been <laughs> Harry Beavers <laughs> for the rest of his life. And I just felt like having the last name Beavers is enough of like a, of a, you know, a burden to carry around. That's a but good to have point, Harry yeah. in front of it, like that would have just... Harry be cruel. Yeah, Man, that well, mean. that does make... People would think he'd be using a pseudonym if he was an author. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Like, it's a brilliant construction. Brilliant name. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, that's good. So did you guys go out and do the whole lot and oh, trick-or-treating and all that? He wore me out. Yeah? I can hang out with my friends that are in the liquor business, my, my friends that are you know fellow ambassadors and go right, out right. and have drinks in the night. I can't hang with like five five-year-olds for longer than like two hours literally just i need a nap afterwards. that's so funny what did he dress up as he dressed up as uh, a zombie from this game called plants and zombie okay and oh i played the zombies. game but i've definitely yeah. played it yeah well there's a character on there that has like a ripped up suit and a like a cone on his head apparently because he walked into traffic and died or something i don't know what but i real shrewd it, it was one really of <laughs> it was one of those like outfits it's like i started calling around going does do you guys have a plants and zombies They're like i don't even know what that is oh no so i made my way to the thrift store like i'd done many times it. on the road and i made it all of it man. see that's found the a, diy thing it's like driving on the road and i saw a cone on the side of the road and i opened my car door up and <laughs> snagged it so <laughs> have you one that there's plenty on mopac that have been i returned it i'll shit, tell you dude. i returned it did you yeah the day I actually was going down the street and i it was right down the street from my house and so I, there was like three of them in, in this, next to this guy's driveway because he was getting something dug up. And I felt like, well, two's enough for one night. Sure. And then I brought it back today and dropped it back did off. He, did was, he see you? No. It, oh, it, nice. It, neither time. Thank Perfect. goodness. But it was, uh, I didn't steal it, but I didn't borrow it. For, it's like, are you the guy that took my cone? <laughs> you son of a bitch. What and then you? I was at like, I found myself at Hobby Lobby, like going, hey, can you sell me that, you know, stretchy string that you would put on a party hat? Like, well, what are you putting it on? I'm like, hey, uh. <laughs> <laughs> see where this is going yeah, yeah. This is, uh, it's a, a traffic cone they're like it looks at me very crazy <laughs> i was just like 
it's for my kid. He's five. He wants to have a cone on his head. I'm like, of course, it didn't stay on. You know, it's like, do you have a load bank? He looked down on it and it'd just flip over. He looked backwards and it would like be choking him out. So I don't think he even made it to school with it on. I think he might have like got out of the car, put it on, and then ran across the field and it was like a choker at that point. So I took it off and was holding it, you know, put it back on the car. But at least you tried. You tried tried to make it work. I had a friend that tried to construct a Game of Thrones shield out of cardboard for his nephew. That's the things you'll, the things the you'll things do for you'll the kids. Do, right? I'm telling you, it's really crazy. All right. So we've got, man, music is a big path for you. Booze, most notably whiskey. But this is all, you, a guy from the South, and I understand correctly, you went to high school in Georgia? Are you I did, from yeah. Georgia originally? I'm or? a native Texan. I actually okay. grew up. Outside of Dallas, where about? I was I, I was born up in Denison, oh, okay. on Lake Texas. Yeah, my gra- my that's mother. Where my parents live. Oh, really? Up in Sherman, oddly well, enough. Well, yeah. that's how the name. Of, I, have, I play in a band called Sherman. I know. And Don't. the name came because my mother was a Denison Yellow Jacket, and I knew that if your band name doesn't piss off your parents, then it's not a good band name. And so I knew oh naming the band God. Sherman would Kidding be me. would piss her off. And it was also a joke. I didn't think it would stick. Yeah. Anyway, I kind of joked about having this name, you know, be the band name. And at one point. Uh, probably about 15 years ago when the Super Bowl was in Atlanta, uh, a friend of mine, Ben Peeler, who's a really amazing pedal steel player, said to me, he goes, you know what they, you know what they need there in Atlanta for the Super Bowl? Because it, it had sn- it snowed or iced and it okay. never happens. Yeah, yeah. It was causing a lot of problems. Like They were like, are we going to have to like you know postpone the Super Bowl? People right. can get there, et cetera. And he said, well, they, what they need is a General Sherman to come back through and melt all that ice. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a joke, but it was very like. And I thought to myself, like I was like, a... "That's the second time I've heard that you know that name Sherman come up." I'm like, "The band's going to be Sherman, but I'm not going to change the E to a U because right. you didn't want to make it I was obvious." Playing or... a lot in Atlanta, yeah, we were yeah, playing, yeah. You know, <laughs> The southeast was our like. Um, he wasn't like a good guy in the the north, is he? Sherman is it, General Sherman. Yeah, Tecumseh con- Sherman. That's right. Yeah, yeah he burnt Atlanta. He's the guy that someone came to and literally burnt it to the ground. Some sensitivity there. It seems like maybe not so the best <laughs> like thing when you're going through Alabama and Georgia and that's right. Well, we played kind of a southern rock kind of music. You know, we our first tours were like with the Drive By Truckers and some of those bands. Yeah, so yeah. we were like really heavily like you know, dug in in the south. Right. So yeah, it was definitely good that we changed that E to a U. And people would ask me often about the name of the band and i always will change it like there's no real truth i mean you know we just truth, like short microphones for men right? <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot but, of funny ones well it but. makes a lot of sense so denison this and that but you went to where did there was a move in there somewhere though. yeah i actually moved we um my dad was when i was younger my dad was uh, in the air force okay and then he got a job with delta so he moved outside of dallas to uh, garland oh yeah and I went to elementary school in Plano, which was oh, like man. dirt fields at the time. And, sure. you know, lots of soccer fields. And, you know, it was all about sports. Pre-heroin oh, yeah. play. And that's why we left. My really? mom was a teacher. Yeah. As I said, and she was starting to, like, hear about these kids that were doing these group suicides and overdosing on heroin and all this no stuff. Shit. And one day my dad just said, look, you know, we're going to get you out of here. We're not going to. I think they were probably smart to think that I was already running with a wild crowd. Right. And it was just going to get worse as I went into ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th that's grade. True, yeah. So they moved us out to this town in uh, Georgia called Peachtree City, which sounds was, lovely. Aaron, it, was a it sounds tiny like a little town. town. That, it was. A, it was like I think it was the first planned community where it actually was mainly people who worked for the airlines because okay. you know, Delta was there and a lot of the larger airlines. And so it was one of these places where every single house was connected by golf carts paths. Wait, what? A golf cart oh, path golf cart. went through the path. whole town. Okay, they, they okay. had a couple man-made lakes. And then, you know, if you were like 12 years old, you could actually drive a, a golf cart to the grocery store, to the Chick-fil-A. Now, mind you, we didn't have anything. All we had was a 
We had a Hardee's. Oh, the Great Biscuits. And we had a Sonic. And then I think it was like a pretty big deal in high school, like maybe halfway through high school, like McDonald's came to town. Yeah. Was, Ooh, Mike, you know, this is amazing. Now we have another place to go on Friday night, you know. So, so the, well, how do you... How do you learn about shit? Oh, so, I don't know. I don't, yeah. You know, I learned about stuff actually really by going out to see bands and sneaking into clubs. I, yeah. We, were, we would go out to like, uh, one of the ones I specifically remember was a place called the Metroplex in Atlanta. And it was like, that's where you go see like the, be- I remember seeing like the Beastie Boys with Fishbone and Murphy's Law oh, in like dude. late 80s. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what got me into a little bit of country rock as well. I snuck into a show to see um, a band called the Chattahoochee Coochie Men, which actually was like. It was Peter Buck, Mike Mills from R.E.M. R.E.M., yeah. And then the rest of the guys, the three guys from Driving and Crying, so Kevin, Kenny, Tim. I can't remember who the drummer was, but they basically, it was kind of like a predecessor to like what I think would later become like Uncle Tupelo. Oh, really? It was this Which them doing super, stuff, right? yeah. Yeah, super, Killer. super like country inflated. Dude, tell me what year, what, what year are we talking at this point? Because this, this is like when late I was... late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, because yeah. that was just... Just a wee lad when people said, oh, you got to check out this Uncle Tupelo record. Oh, yeah. I saw I Uncle like, Tupelo. Really? I was actually um, I in college. I went to Arizona State in the early 90s. And I, um, my good friend introduced me a guy named Josh Rouse. He ends up, he's a singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. And um, he was in engineering school in, in Tempe. And I was kind of running with a lot of guys that were in that scene, the guys in the refreshments and the Jim Blossoms and Dead Hot Workshop yeah, and yeah. Flathead yeah. and satellite and the pistoleros and all those just i mean the scene in tempe was amazing huge yeah incredible and i you know in high school i'd kind of grown up like sneaking out and going down to athens and seeing follow for now and b-52s and 5-8 and swimming pool cues and all that stuff all the stuff that was like you know drive i mean uh one of my my biggest most influential band at that time was was driving and crying i was just a huge driving and crying fan those guys just were amazing rock band they were very much like Dead Hot Workshop from Tempe, which is a band that later would come to be another one of my very big influences. And I think I was, you know, going out to Athens a lot, and I was gonna go to University of Georgia, and I had a lot of friends that were going there. And I think yeah. I, I realized somewhere like I've got these friends from high school; they're all going to University of Georgia, and their relationships are gonna stay in the same like apartment, or yeah. they're gonna live. They're not like, really the challenging themselves necessarily, right? And like I said, my dad was a pilot, so I went to a couple of col- I got accepted to San Diego State. Okay. University of Colorado at Boulder, University of Texas, Dude, University of Georgia. And so great. I went to all the orientations. Did you really? And the last one was ASU. And it was a two-day orientation. And the other ones were all just one. You come with your family. Yeah. You do the thing. You leave at night. And ASU was a, you come in, then they pair you up with like a stranger and you stay in the dorms. Actually, you stay in like the, the girl, like the women's sorority dorms. Even better than That's the dorms, the best right? sales pitch I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> and so That's I, pull, I pull up. I'll never forget. There was a guy named Dan, and he was just a. I could tell he was a cool guy. He was from Oregon, and he said, "Hey, man, you want to you you want to crash with me? You know, we like we had like you know we we're pairing up on these like you know two people to a room. Yeah. And I was like, sure. And I walk in there, and he pulls out this bottom drawer, and there was a case of Meister Brow. What Meister Brow was like this crazy cheap beer we used to call it oh, Meister Chow. It was like this really awful beer, but it was the cheapest beer you could get. It was cheaper than Milwaukee's best. Okay. And he pulls up this drill and there's like 24 of them warm in the thing. We just Ugh. sat down that night and we drank all those. The two of us had like 17 years so, old. Yeah, I was going to say And I was like, I'm coming to school here. I don't care what happens. Like, this is amazing. And it's this just, is a gate. I met some people that I ended up becoming friends with. And it just, it was like some of the best time of my life. It was obviously, here it is in the early 90s. And so ASU was getting all the 
top party school in the nation and oh, all yeah. these things. And it, and it was fun and crazy. But more than that, I kind of got the bug for traveling and going places. Right. My dad was a pilot, so I was able to fly yeah, for free. So, so real quick, so we got the dad pilot piece. But I, I'm curious. I'm going to go back a second. Where does the music piece come into it? Where do well, you... I started doing that in, in middle school and when I was living in... Uh, did your mom play? Did your dad play? Yeah, actually, my dad did. My dad oh, yeah. was a really great uh, guitar player and could play all the Beatles songs. And when he was in the Air Force, he actually was part of like a like a rock and roll band no shit it was more like a soul band yeah but he played bass in that and my mother sang in it and they did like all kinds of how they met they had like the no they were already married okay. they had like the you know the pompadon hair yeah, yeah. and the whole i mean it was just oh, so really, you're right you're it's oh yeah he's, he's had a, yeah he had acoustic guitars around my whole life until he realized i started i wanted to play them so what did he do and then it was like oh we're gonna get rid of these guitars because <laughs> he was like wait a minute i want this kid to have some sort of right. like chance that like making some sort of a living is like, I mean, you know, I have to be honest, it was probably a really good thing because there was a point where when I graduated from high school, I wanted to go to Berkeley and go to music school. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, I'll pay for college if you'll go to it, but I'm not paying for music school. Really? And um, so I was like, well, okay, you know, I'm, I can't afford to go to like live in Berkeley. And, you know, I've been, I was working at a pizzeria at that time and I wasn't going to save up, you know, enough money at partner's pizza. It takes a while, go, yeah. To go, uh, <laughs> you know, pay for, for music school. So it, it was a great decision. And to be honest, the other part of it was he's like, and you can't bring your guitar with you. What? Because he was just like, he knew that I would become, become unglued if I did that. And yeah. he was totally right. And the funniest part was... It didn't seem to help much, yeah, did it? Yeah, <laughs> it didn't help at all. Because the first day that I was there, I ran into a buddy of mine who's still a close friend of mine, a guy named Mike Swink. And he we were living in Manzanita in the dorms in Arizona uh-huh. State. And on the, every other floor was, you know, it was, it was co-ed. But oh, you lived geez. on the same floor with just whoever. Same you know, yeah, all sex. So okay. I was like... All men, all men on the even floors and women on all the odd floors. So well, I was on the eighth floor, and I'm going down the hall, and I hear somebody playing like a Metallica song or something, you know, yeah. like from this open room. And I look in the door. And there's my buddy who's now become a close friend of mine. This guy Mike in there. He's playing the Pink Kramer guitar. Dude, Kramer. And I was yeah. like, Oh man, you got a guitar? <laughs> I didn't care if it was Pink or what it was. He had or a Kramer guitar. For that and I'm just matter, like, yeah. Dude, I'm like, You're my new best friend, and. You know, we spent many hours in there, like transcribe. Like that was back in the day, the tablature. You yeah, know, get yeah. all like, okay, here's Grateful Dead. You know, like you know. So was so for you at that point, like it's all genres. It sounds like. Oh yeah. Throw yeah. the metal in. Yeah. Throw, like the college rock in. All, I was a this. huge college rock, huge into Elton John, Stevie Wonder, wow. um, just bands. I was always a fan of bands that kind of were, were doing their own thing and like combining genres. Yeah. Because I felt like. I was a punk rocker. I was a skateboarder. Yeah, when I was okay. like seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I was like all about skating. I was black skating flag at, and stuff. Oh, black flag, circle jerks, oh, minor dude. threat, TSOL. You know, Greg Hudson. I swear he lives in Austin. Really? I've seen him multiple times out. I've no, no, it's I didn't. So know. he's so small. I did go see DRI like not too long <laughs> oh. ago. Like there's a lot of those old bands like Jody Foster's Armies and Seven Seconds was a huge influence. Seven on Seconds, me. yeah, yeah. All that skate rock, and I still listen. To, I was listening to it this morning. I have like a you know, I'm about to get up to go and do my day. It's like. I put on a little like '80s, '90s, early '90s Dude. punk rock, and it's oh, like, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, this is Op Ivy. This is stuff. what I. Oh yeah, this yeah. is like this is what I cut my teeth on, and so I think. I've so always, you're a music guy. So this is the thing I think is really, really important. Kind of before we talk about even what is like more trajectory into music, I just think you love music. Oh yeah, there's no you know question. what I mean. Like you're playing this one genre, but you like it all. Yeah, and that's really telling because that means you're passionate about music, not just your music. No, I was like, I would think I was as big of a fan of The Clash as I was of Willie Nelson oh, man. at an early age. Yeah. Um, and I think I 
gravitated to, like I said, people that were kind of doing their own thing. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was like, I can remember like also going to see some really bad concerts. I, I went and saw Corey Hart at like at Six Flags <laughs> Over Georgia. Never forget. I saw that, the Hooters. The Ho- what is the Hooters? The Hooters? You remember what the, Hooters? the Hooters? Oh my no, God. No. Like, they were this kind of like all blonde, like. Do you remember the man in the outfield? Oh, yeah. They were in that world. Oh, I like, see. Okay, the, okay. Hooter, they had the, they a watered-down dire they had straits, a mandolin. I think I saw them. Like the, I think they were opening for R.E.M. or It was like them and the Bodines opening the for Bo R.E.M. The Bodines? Oh, man. I was a yeah. huge R.E.M. fan. And oh, so a lot too, of yeah. like bands that I discovered were bands that were opening for R.E.M. Sure. I read all the fanzines, Maximum Rock and Roll, all those things. I, I, I was just obsessed. I mean, my room had, you know, pictures on my wall were a picture of... Eddie Van Halen yeah. and a picture of, uh, you know, like the picture from the band's record with them all up in front of me. Yeah, it's amazing. And I didn't really even know like what was cool and what wasn't cool. I mean, I was listening to Dawkins and listening to Stevie Wonder, you know, like at the same time. So that's just, why it's so great. Yeah. I it's think this that's amalgam, kind of, an honest, honest connection of all these different bands. Yeah. You know? And I'll still, there's, there's music. Now that's the kind of the other cool part about having a kid is that he finds these songs that I would never listen to. Like, yeah. Megan Trainer, right. Bleachers, yeah. all these bands I just never would have, you know, heard these songs or, or you know that song "Turned Down for What" by like yep. Jason. Uh, yeah. I was like, I would never actively pursue that kind of uh, genre of music. Sure. But he hears it at school with some friends, and they're on an iPad or whatever, which is also a whole other world. Totally you think different. About. Yeah. But he comes home and says, like, "Dad, I want you to put on this song "Turned Down for What," and then I'm like searching it online, and I pulled up, "Surely this can't be it." You yeah. Know? And then I put it on. He's in the back seat, just dancing and doing all these moves. I'm like, "That's cool," you know. And that's funny because I'm just happy to see him enjoying music. So yeah. I enjoy him enjoying it, and therefore I'm by proxy. I'm yeah. really like kind of like find myself like God, I have that song stuck in my head. That's or, incredible. You know, there's like all these cool, and it's funny because he's got a real musical side to him as well. He's got a little drum kit, and um, he's got tons. Of, I mean, a lot of my f- musician friends yeah. have given him. Stuff. I mean, He's John, in a good I, position, John Popper gave him a harmonica. Oh, like, my you know, God, it's like people incredible. like that, you know, just like that. You gave him an empty around. whiskey bottle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I played with John in a, in a side project for about a year called the Dusk Great Troubadours. And I did a lot of Blues Traveler was probably one of the most. They they just did so much for our band. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. they gave us the opportunity to play at Red Rocks and do these things. I mean, they took us on the road and did a lot of our first big show we're we talking sherman at this point yeah, that, sherman, that, yeah. that particular entity yeah, sherman got to, we got to do the uh we did a july 4th us ziggy marley and blues traveler at Red oh, rocks dude, that's insane one of those july 4th shows i mean it Beautiful. was like a yeah. it was a moment in my life where it was kind of funny because it kind of happened early on in the band yeah and it was like wow it's gonna be really hard to kind of top this within one week we'd like had played red rocks with blues traveler and uh Summerfest up in milwaukee actually okay. we did those shows back to back we drove from Boulder up to Milwaukee to open up for Los Lobos and the Jayhawks. I oh, thought it's crazy. It's kind of like we're done. Dream, you know, like, yeah. it's, it's over. You know, peaked. Yeah. I peaked. we peaked. Yeah. You know, we peaked <laughs> early, and you know, there's some truth to that. And I think we got our record deal, and we we were very bright eyed. We went on the road, and we sold a lot of uh, records out of the back of the van. And then we got a record deal, and we thought that was going to be the thing that made you know took it up on right so so go this did Sherman kind of form and come to fruition at Arizona State, or did you wrap no, things actually, up there? We formed in Los Angeles. When I graduated from Arizona State. So you State, finished. What did you grad? I cannot even guess what kind of degree you got. What I kind got of degree, degree, degree did I got you a get? degree in 
communication. And I think that was like my sixth degree. I went in as an architect major at the okay. Frank Lloyd Wright School of Architecture. Oh, Frank, yeah, yeah. And a year into it, I realized, I don't want to be drawing these pictures of buildings with like perfect handwriting and stuff. That's boring. Bullshit, yeah. So then I moved into, well, I'm going to get into business marketing or something because I could do that with anything, you know, for, with anything. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'm not into that. That's not really my thing. So I went in, I got into uh, taking a bunch of music classes. And then it was like, well, this is going to be a difficult to get my major in music because I had to go and take all these other core classes that I hadn't taken previously. I was taking yeah. recording classes. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then somewhere I started taking these communication classes. And for fun, I met a girl and she was telling me about all these crazy sociology classes she was taking, like, you know, human human sexuality and all this. You were wow. taking them for her, for well, you or for her? Well, you know what I'm, I, you sure, know what I'm I, saying? It's hard to yeah. say. You know, it's like... <laughs> You know, I wanted to be expanding my mind and be that guy who wasn't just that guy from like East Texas who was like, you know, the yodeling Zeke. I wanted to have like somebody who who seemed like a little bit more, you know, educated and worldly. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm refined. And yeah, you know, so yeah. I was sitting in a sociology class, like, you know, with, I remember like we were in this, like, it was like a deviant sexual history of deviant sexuality or something like that. Wow. It's a very interesting class. Yeah. And it, it was like one night a week for three hours. And, it was just crazy. I remember it was like the first. I remember one night, the, one of the first speakers was a guy who was like a deacon or high up in the Mormon Church, and he came and he was really? he was a crossdresser, but no one in his family knew. No a Mormon crossdresser. Mormon crossdresser. This is brilliant. And he was like this six foot four guy with like a you know a five o'clock shadow, yeah. but dressed in like like a beautiful woman, and came in and was like speaking, and it was such a unique thing because he basically told us this whole story about his life and how he's been struggling with this since he was a kid and. But he was still, I mean, I don't know what he is, if he is now, but right. at the time when he was doing this, he was married, had two kids, and was and was like one of the officers in the Mormon church. And he was like basically saying, like, if this was ever to get out, you know, I would like Ruined. lose my family, Ruined, and lose yeah. the whole thing, and lose my whole life. And so I started, it was weird. It was like the teacher was really unique, but I started to see the other side of people, the things that you don't, the backstory of people. I think that's yeah. kind of something that became interesting to yeah, me. Yeah. And it's, the the kind of the minutia and the texture of people, it is. Right? It's like here's the, the the big picture is here's a six foot four guy yeah. with a kind of a scraggly beard who's dressed as a woman. Yeah, that's crazy. And then here's the story behind it. Like wow, it's like gut wrenching. Like this guy's story. Like I'm like cheering for him. You know, sure. after he tells me the story, and I'm like, you know, having more empathy as to people who are just born a different way, and they are they're forced by society to to act or dress a certain way Absolutely. to fit in and. Yeah. You know, I think if, if you've ever been a kid and you've ever been in a new school, then you understand what it's like to try to oh, fit man, in. It's the worst. You kind of would do anything. You mm -hmm. know, if like you came to some new school and you're walking down the hall and everybody's got purple hair, you're going to go home and find some dye. Yeah. And turn your hair purple. You know, and it's just, it's a sad truth. And I think it's one of the things that I, I try to teach my son is that, you know, let's celebrate our differences. Sure. And we, let's not try to be like everybody else. Well, because it, we're all different. We yeah. We all have different paths. That's actually what makes things exciting. It's a hard thing to wrap your head around, even being 40 years on this earth. It's like hard to wrap your head around that concept. Yeah, like, it is. Oh, it seems really strange. But you're so much taller than me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Am I supposed to embrace you and not be jealous, right? No. All this, you're so much richer. So all, this, all this stuff. I can't believe you have this bottle. I can't believe you're sharing it with me. Oh, of course. This Booker's, this is the 25th anniversary. This is, what, a 12? We'll get into it in a bit, but I can't remember. Is a 12-year-old or something like that? It's the oldest Booker's they'd put out. You, rather, you guys had put out at that point. Beautiful packaging, some gold foil on the label. I mean, it's really beautiful. God, it really is. I've had the, uh, actually my buddy Jeremy who uh, runs a program over at Blackheart. Jeremy, yeah, Jeremy Murray. Don't he's let him. Don't the, let anybody know. I just he's the man. Day. But he like, 
you know, he's always funny because he's 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 just got such an amazing collection. Like there'll be a lot of times there'll be a joking with yeah. I'm out with Boston. Some of the guys will be talking about some whiskey and they'll be like, I know Jeremy has it, you know, and they're yeah. like. It's kind of like they're looking at me. I'm like, I didn't get it for Jeremy. Jeremy <laughs> probably had it before he's me. He's a very industrious he, fellow. He sure is. And he's he like, you know. It. And so he came to me and said, like, hey, man, you know, I can find those like 24 anniversary, you know, anniversary bottles. And I was like, I was new to the company. Yeah. And I was like, well, let me go ask around. And it was like, are you serious? No. It was there's a there, there's yeah. none around. They're, they're gone. And I traded the other one for a bunch of Mezcal Mojaca. That was the, <laughs> the, the deal with the devil on that it's one. Pretty, you know, it's not a bad deal. So Arizona State, you are getting you, you wrapped up the communications degree. Sherman is forming, but you had to move to LA first. Is that the well? Right actually, way? the drummer from Sherman, I went to high school with him. We played in a high school band together. Okay. We were best friends. Okay. So uh, he went to American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York, and I went to Arizona State. And then I graduated. and He started getting movie roles. He was in like Six Days and Seven Nights with Harrison really? Ford and all this stuff. So it was like he moved out to Los Angeles because he was getting a lot of work. Yeah, and. I was bummed because I wanted to start a band with them. And, and, and I had done, at the end of my time at Arizona State, I'd done this like spring break tour. And then the band on this tour, were, it was like one of those things where you go up to like um, Steamboat and all these ski towns and you play for all these kids who are on spring break across yeah, the country. Yeah. And it was crazy. Sounds it was good. Really crazy. What yeah. I do remember of that time, <laughs> which was very hazy, was yeah. the bands that were on it were. Uh, the big band was Big Head Todd and the Monsters. Oh, Big Head, yeah. Okay. And they were out of Colorado, and so they had a huge thing going there. The other big band was Coolio. Coolio. Coolio, because yes. he, you know, he brought the party. Yeah. And then it was us and this band called Trouser Trout. Trouser Trout. Trouser Trout. Amazing name. <laughs> and, Only could happen in the 90s. And our name of yeah. our band was Shut I Smile. And we were kind of doing, at that time, so I was saying earlier that my buddy Josh Ross had taken me to see Uncle Tupelo, mm-hmm. and in that same week, we, we had seen Nirvana. And so it was like in this oh, one week we saw wow. Nirvana in the in your utero tour and we saw oh, we saw and at, at the Arizona State Fair. Wow. And then we were at that later that week we were at the Mason Jar in Phoenix seeing Uncle Tupelo. And I got somehow talking with you know somebody at the merch table or someone and I got past a tape from the, the guitar tech for Uncle Tupelo which is named and I later became a guy came to know named Brian Henneman. Okay. And he handed me a demo for what would become the Bottle Rockets, which was one that became a huge band for me as well. Yeah. And so I just kind of started taking that idea of like I wanted to have acoustic instruments, but I wanted to play like punk rock with at like some kind with of a aggression kind of a vibe, it, right? Yeah, yeah. With a band, I wanted to play like with a banjo and yeah. that kind of a, a vibe. And so I moved up to Colorado, thinking this would be a good place to do that, and spent about a year trying to put a band together and working in restaurants and bars and. Did you, you know, but that was a means to an end. It was always eyes on the I prize always, of music, right? Always, I was always doing it as like to play music. Yeah. And then um, I was living out in Colorado and a bunch of guys were talking about when the snow melts this year, we're going to all move out to Hawaii and live for a little while and go surfing. And I was like, I was delaying the inevitable. Cool, right? I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm in my mid-20s and I don't want to get a job. Yeah. That's lame. And so we started getting our money together to, to, to do this trip and we we're going to go out there and just live for an indefinite period of time. And in one Hawaii. by one, you know, I was working at this like really nice restaurant called strings in, um, and the chef there, um, Noel Cunningham was his name and he was Michael Jackson's chef, personal chef, personal chef. That's and, crazy. and he left Michael Jackson came down. I met a guy named Chris Tosh who is, what does that sound familiar? He's the manager now at, uh, Vince Jones Steakhouse. Okay. All right, he ran yeah. Fleming. He's runs. He's just, he's a great guy. Yeah. And we started, you know, waiting tables and bartending and going through that whole crazy world. And then 
these bunch of guys were going to go out to Maui and they one by one started flaking and say, oh, I can't do it because my girlfriend or this or that yeah. or whatever it was. And I said, I'm going. And I, I packed a bag and my guitar and I flew out to, to Maui. I got off the plane and I said to, I went to a taxi driver and he said, where are you going? And I said, take me to where the people are my age, like around here. I don't want to go to where there's like right, older like folks. I want to go, like, I want to go hang out, have some fun and be on the beach. So he took me down to downtown Lahaina and there was this huge like banyan tree and a bulletin board. And this is like pre-cell phone, obviously, because yeah. I'm like ancient. Sure. But it's like, I can, <laughs> on, I can smell the ancientness <laughs> about you. On this wall or this big, like, you know, basically cork board was all these little three by five note cards that had like, you know, room for rent, yeah. surfboard for sale, car for sale. Single so white male. Right there. For- <laughs> I got 77 Ford Fairmont, a surfboard. And I, that, and I checked out a place to, I called the guy from the payphone. Hey, he had a surfboard and a, and a car for sale. And the, the car had a rack on it. I was like, I want the car and the surfboard, but can you bring it down to the Banyan tree downtown? He was like, I can get there in about an hour. So I hung out for an hour and yeah. he showed up. Paid him cash for it, got in the car, and then I went to. I had there was an address for a room for rent, and I went right down the street on Front Street in Lahaina, and right next to the chart house there on the end, on like the uh, west side of the street, and I uh, got a job. I got a, I got a place to live, so I got a, I got a uh, house, surfboard, car, and job. I had, now I had a rent. Like I had that. rent, so I was like, okay, now I just need a job. Or sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the room. and so a buddy of mine told me about that they were looking for people over at this place called Riley's, which was on the Kanapali Golf Course, and he's like, and the perk about the gig is. A, it's a you know you're behind the bar, but you're making right. blended drinks like lava flows and all these crazy drinks for yeah. like basically people coming off the golf course. And he's like, and the other good part about it is that it's everyone's out of there and past these guys are coming off the course. They're passed out by like nine thirty because yeah. they've been having In beers outside all day. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it was like an, a bar gig. You got paid a lot early, and you could get out and still go you know have fun and go to Moose McGillicuddy's or whatever it is you want to do that <laughs> night. Um, so it and, it and I got free golf. On this amazing, like, classic golf course, it was right on the water. You do you see a common thread of golf carts here, though? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Playing communities, I sure do. They're it's... gonna re-enter. I just have a feeling. But so, how long were you doing the gig then? There, and I was there for almost two years. Killer. And I was at that point. I wrote a hundred songs while I was out there. Yeah. And um, I was sending them to my friend Damon, who was living in New in, in Los Angeles now. The actor, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, look, I've been shopping these around. You know, have so, I'm playing with some people now. I've, I've got a drum kit, and you should come out here. There's like a lot of stuff going on. And I think, you know, you would love it out here. We've got a lot of friends. Yeah. And because I went to Arizona State, there was a lot of people who had migrated, you know, to the West Coast from there. Fair, yeah. Um, and so I had tons of friends that were living in like Hollywood at the time. And I just moved in on a couch, and I went down to the Whiskey A Go-Go. Oh, and man. You know, a buddy of mine said, I know this girl that works at the Whiskey Go Go and she just she handles flyers and stuff like that, but you know, she might be able to tell you who to get in touch with. So I go there to knock on the door and ask for it, and she's not there. But I, I had her name, whatever it was, I can't remember, I think it was like Misty or something. And I said, I'm here to talk to Misty. And they were like, Well, come on up. They didn't say, Oh, she's not here, or whatever. So I go up and I'm I open this door and I'm in this office of the guy who books the Whiskey Go Go. And just the stuff that was on the walls was like, you know, everything from, you know, it was like a sweatband of of lemmies and yeah. panties off a girl from Motley Crue show and all these kind of stuff. It was just like all these old history, posters. dude. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking around the room. There's all these music posters everywhere, and, I, and so I start talking to the guy. He's like, "Well, what do you, what do you here to see Misty about?" I'm like, "Well, you know, I want to. I have a band, and I want to, you know, get a gig here." He goes, "What's the name of your band?" And I didn't have a band, yeah. so uh, I'm. He's like, "What's the name of your band?" And I'm looking around, and I'm like, "Oh God, I don't know." And I, I see this John Coltrane <laughs> poster on the wall. 
and it says Blue Train. I'm like, it was that record Blue Train. I go, Blue Train. Name's the band Blue Train. He goes, okay, well, here's 50 tickets. You, if you, you know, bring some people next Friday night, yeah. then we'll book you a show. And you, but you got to sell these, and you got to bring the money, and it was like pay to play. I didn't know what that was. Yeah, yeah. I didn't understand, but I went home to these friends of mine that I live with. These two twins, Scott and Andrew Paskoff, and I was like, I'm like, do we have 50 friends in town here? He goes, yeah, totally. And I said, because I need to sell 50 tickets for the show next Friday. We got to get everyone together. Like, we're going to have a party here beforehand. And there's got to be, there's not a band yet if I'm. There's not a band. No, there's no band. So at this no point, like, I'm yeah. like, I'm working with this guy, Johnny. I'm working at this place um, that was owned by, was owned by Robert Redford, a place uh, really? yeah, on, in Santa Monica on the Third Street Promenade called, uh, what was the name of it? I've worked at so many places. It's hard yeah. to keep them all straight. But he, there was a, there was a guy that played as a duo in there. One of them was this kind of older dude who played a stand-up bass. And Johnny had mentioned to me one time when we were working together, like, I have a stand-up bass. And I didn't even ask him if he could play it. Right. It just, he had one. He's That's all I needed to know, you know? And he knew, he knew this other guy that <laughs> could play guitar. And so I said, man, you said you have one of those stand-up basses, right? And he's like, yeah. I go, can you play it? He goes, yeah, you know. It's, you know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool, because I got a gig next Friday. And we're putting a band together. And we just went in and started, like, I had all these songs and I showed them to the guys and we did it the best we could. Yeah. And we went and played, but we packed the place out. That's cool. And we were a bunch of these people who like they were drinking. Yeah. So, and so I learned early on, as I was saying, yeah, like, yeah. if if you bring a crowd that's drinking, yeah. it doesn't matter how bad your band sucks, you're gonna get you're invited, invited back. back. Yeah. And so we did. We, like, we, the guy was like, This is great. Of course, he takes all the money at the end of the night, and yeah. I know a lot more money came in. We didn't even asked for money I think at some point he even said like well we need to settle up for the night we're like oh do we owe money for the bar and he was like no no i owe you guys money we're like, oh no no that's fine just keep it we we, we just want to come back and play here yeah and he was like oh okay. hell yeah let's like, do that now we'll start booking you guys more if you guys don't want money that's you know? <laughs> <laughs> we learned early on that was a huge mistake what, but what year are we talking so and you that was in like around 2000 2000 that's colors yeah. because the the whole scene there had transit completely transformed right oh yeah no, yeah it was, it was like a different deal it was post grunge and yeah. it had just been it decimated Dead, right yeah but what was the cool thing is that there was all this whole scene like i mean one of our first shows in in la was opened up for john doe oh wow and it was like oh, from my, from from x, x. Yeah. yeah and it was just like we were playing these shows and you know opening up for whiskey town the whiskey go go and all these things where you're just like right okay, oh, old 97s yeah. and all these bands were coming wow. through town and we were like the we were like the only like twangy kind of band. Yeah. You know, Robbie Folks, all these people were coming through and we were playing like a Jack Sugar Shack and kind of these kind of like really like divey like country rock bars. Mm. And, you know, we thought we were doing something that was really different. I mean, come to find out, you know, it had been done for a long time with Graham Parsons and the Burrito Brothers and right. all these guys for that we, as we dug into this, that kind of music, we realized how far back it went. Yeah, yeah. We realized like all these people that we owed, you know, that had given us basically we didn't even know it they had just influenced all the bands that we liked it's like that weird thing when yes. you find a band you really like and then you go well who did they like and then the you, great well, well, who did that band you, like? yeah you know and, genetics you know and so you go back to that who those people were that influenced all that and you realize like wow like you start hearing the songs that these other people just totally ripped off and i was doing the same thing i was trying to write songs that were like em- emulating graham parsons right you know i was dressing like him you really? know i was like pace i was like sewing marijuana leaves on my jeans and trying to like <laughs> make my own nudie suits and stuff you know just to like so it was a it was a really cool interesting time it was a really free time in my life because i'd kind of done what people wanted me to do up to a certain point in my life you know college was yeah. something i didn't really want to do but i felt like well I it was the, to. the negotiation with your dad in yeah a way, right yeah 
my and let me my let me say something too. Is like my dad is like the most supportive guy for music now. I mean, yeah. he was sitting on the side stage with tears coming out his face when we played Red Rocks. He flew off the show oh, with my sister, and yeah. like, they were just like, "Oh my god, you know, you've made it." What cha- what changed his mind? You think? I think that you know he actually saw people like start to like like the band. Yeah, and he actually saw us like, "Wow, these guys are actually you know they we we were really all about re- one of the first things we did with Sherman was that we we went and pooled all of our money to get a rehearsal space. Yeah. And so we had a rehearsal space and all of our friends would use it. It was like, but we were in there every night. We would come in, we'd grab you know, some beers, bottle or whatever, and we'd go into our rehearsal space, which was crazy because it was in like this underground apartment in uh, West Hollywood. And it was basically these closets that they had in the front of the parking spaces where you would put stuff, but you could fit just a band in there if you all lined up in a row. Oh, that's so you couldn't strange. Yeah. Whereas all of us were like directly in front of each other. You know, sounds got to be real strange. Yeah. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> but uh, and then later on, we moved over to um, the Grand Royal Studios, which was like the Beastie Boys old studio. Oh, in, oh um, Grand Royal. Yeah, in, in Silver Lake area. Killer. When they moved out of that place, they got rid of it. They, they turned it into a, it was turned into a rehearsal studio. We rehearsed out there for a long time. Really? But we were really into rehearsing. We toured a lot and we played a lot. And we were the band that, like, we were very unlazy. Later in, later in the band, we stopped rehearsing, you know, <clears throat> because we were playing so much and we felt like we didn't need to. But I really feel like that's one of the things that kind of is something, if you're in a band that's really going to be committed and continue to play, like, yeah. you really need to rehearse because the things that happen in that rehearsal, you know, that's where a lot of the stuff is written. Sure. Okay. And that's where a lot of that bonding Good, is happening yeah, and that, like, totally kind right. of like yeah. working out those vocals and the things that, like, you know, because when you get on stage and you get in front of a bunch of people, you Scripted. get you start like you know you your energy gets up, your, your voice gets a little higher, and yeah. you get a little louder and scratchier. And <laughs> speaking of which, that speaking was a which. perfect transition into <laughs> scratchy throats. <laughs> so th- this Sherman voyage, then how long have, has this been going on? Because you guys are still it's still a thing, right? Still playing. You know, Is we haven't been or? playing. We um. The last shows that we did as a band were South by this year. We yeah. had a oh, we, we, we had an official showcase there for the last few years. And, Amazing. And this year we did some shows. And you know, with my job and my kid right now, when I first started with Jim Beam, I really wanted to um, with Beam Centauri, I should say, I really wanted to um, to dive in and, and to be you know available for anything that was needed. Right. And, but it's something that I've definitely missed. And I think lately, especially in the last few months, I've really realized how much I miss it. And I've been getting back together with the guys just as, as of late, and we're we're our best of friends. Yeah, I mean, we we hang out, we so talk. That that's not the reason. No, oh, not no, a no. hiatus. You know, I think honestly, that. it's just been the music business. I found myself, you know, working harder to make less. Yes. When I went to L.A., um, you know, I was playing music and doing all these things, and one night we were playing at the Viper Room, and, and my drummer Damon, who had lived in New York, a guy came backstage to say hello after our show, and it was a guy named Adam Green. And Adam had worked on a bunch of restaurants in New York, and he was opening this new place called The Standard. And I said, wait, The Standard? I said, I'm living right behind that. And it was an, an old folks home on Sunset Strip. Okay. But they had turned into the hippest hotel and bar and lounge in, in town. Wow. At the time, it was there was no match. And it was Andre Balaz who owned the Chateau Marmont. It was his thing. Okay. He was like, you know, baby. Yeah. And But I was living literally 20 yards behind it, and I had been dealing with construction there for a year. Outside my window. It's like you, and you I was son like, of a bitch. you are the assholes that are opening this place, <laughs> that white building there. I'm like, yeah. it's going to be a bar. I'm like, you owe me a job. I didn't even know him. And he goes, okay, can you bartend? I said, yeah, I can. 
He goes, well, then come down tomorrow and I'll, you know, talk to you about, you know, interview. Yeah. Gave me a job on the spot. First bartender they hired. And we went about like basically putting together the menu. I was like kind of putting, writing my first menu without even knowing how I was doing it. Yeah, yeah. And we started just talking about, well, this is what it'll be. And this is how we'll sell, you know, we'll have this martini menu. And we're going to need to have these. And this is the day of the green, sour apple, you know, apple martinis. Yeah. And the. It's a dark Cosmo and the key lime pie martini. And, you know, I was doing a lot of that kind of stuff. But you, but you had, all right, because we talked about this, and I feel like it's a very parallel thing. So you write a song, right? You start with this concept. You think about who the audience is, sometimes, maybe not always. Yeah. And then you go and say, all right, I want verse, chorus, verse, maybe bridge, bridge, outro, chorus, twice as long, right? There you go. <laughs> Got it. So when you're constructing, were, were you having this creative input on the cocktail menu oh yeah no he was totally like hey you know he just assumed that i was like in touch with this whole other like you know, like like what what people in la were doing and i right. was like whoa hold on like i i've uh you know i I've, i started just kind of going to bars and asking like what's the most popular drink in here and the, you know sadly it was yeah. it was oh we don't do the sour apple martini here we do a, a red apple martini because it's we do wash so apple, much different you know and yeah. i'm like oh okay cool so i'll, yeah. I'll have a Washington apple and a sour apple martini. Yeah, and we, yeah. we had a menu that was just martinis. And I think we were charging, it was at the time, this was unheard of. It was like $14 a drink, but they were 11 ounce drinks. Jesus. So it came in a huge martini glass and yeah. it came with like a pony on the side, uh-huh. like a little like carafe, a mini carafe that was also full. Jeez, that's insane. You can't I, even do that shit legally. Oh, right? no, no way. You yeah. couldn't do it anymore. And at the time, it was just like, it was a free-for-all. I, mean, I think there's a lot of drugs that were involved. All of us on the I'm Sunset sure. Strip. And yeah. So people could just drink CD. 10 of those things. Yeah. And they were like still just having a normal conversation, you know? Good God, man. It was crazy. But it was a really crazy time. Did, did you see what cocktails were becoming? Because it's an interesting, so a waning of the music industry at that point, especially. People aren't able to make money. Napster's kind of introduced. Yeah, Napster's like subverting. Took my intrig- first record out of the knees. I mean, yeah, exactly. My first record deal was on Vanguard. I mind you, I got my record deal by passing a tape across the bar crazy. at the restaurant. Yeah, a guy came in. His name was Doc McGee, and he was like, a, he was managing like Kiss, and he was like Jesus. one of the biggest. He's the guy who discovered you know Molly Crew. I knew who he was, Whoa. and I gave him a tape, and we signed with him like a week later. And he was also managing Blues Traveler yeah. and some of these other. So he's the guy who put us on the road with Blues Traveler. And I owe a lot to him. He actually was gave us our first break. And we had like, we went from like guys that were playing at the Mint in Los Angeles to playing like Red Rocks and these opening for our heroes and going yeah. all over the country. And it about killed us because we didn't really understand. We all had jobs back home. Yeah. And we were all going to have to come home to them because we weren't making enough money on the road at all. Right. We were coming home with barely enough to get home. So. You know, kind of. Like I learned at an early age, like it was about music. Is was never about money for me. Yeah. And you know, I think I maybe to a fault almost like put the art in front of the commerce, and it That's gave a me a balance. Man. It gave me a lot of, of of joy, but it didn't do a lot for my bank account. Right. You know, um, I started writing songs for other people and trying to get into that world, and you know, I've had some success doing that as well. But the reality of it is, is that I think you know the music business was just it was going down as we were kind of getting like we were one of the last people to get like the big record deal with a bunch of money and this yeah. you know we got the video treatment and the guy who did the foo fighters video and guy named nathan cox who had done like the Marilyn manson beautiful people video oh wow remember that video oh yeah so totally he, like, 
he did our first video and it was like this whole and so a lot of the big things that happened for us happened in the very beginning yeah just as stuff was still okay and and i remember right? we came into the record label one day and um a guy named kevin welk who's the label president and he sits us down and he says hey your record is leaked to this new thing called napster and we're gonna have to release it a couple months earlier than the street date because wow. it's getting out already and people are downloading it they're trading it and i was like well we don't even know what napster is yeah. but okay and it started that was like kind of our four-way into the okay well this is how the music business works and what they're going to do is basically put the record out but they're not going to really have the ability to promote it because it's coming out two months earlier than it's supposed to and they've got other albums that are in line there it's, so they're getting it's the budgeted line. it's yeah. on the roadmap yeah it's so set for q2 right by the time that record was like really hit its street date what would have been its official street date we were probably in negotiations of getting dropped from the label by the oh point man around, you know and so, you know, we learned the hard way really quickly that, okay, as quickly as this can come, it can be just taken away. So we tried to start doing things on our own and end up getting another record deal. And it was just the same story. And it was like, it was like the business was spinning out and we were like, but wait a minute, we just got here. Hold on. We just, you know, we got our first like guy who wants to Riding buy us to like double, double like... whiskeys at the four seasons, you know, and they're like, yeah. pick up the tab, man, this is amazing. You know? And then it was like, oh, well, you know, you're going to have to go on the road for 200 50 days a year if you want to make money and you know at that time I was able to do it and I had a lot of fun and what I remember of it was really a good time for the most part um, and then I think it's like I always had bartending that I would come back to yeah. you know which and is having the opposite kind of resurgence <laughs> renaissance and I was, and I was making lucrative. a lot of money there yeah, yeah. I got like almost embarrassingly amount of money where I was like I was working I only worked Saturdays and every other Thursday yeah and so you know, when you start getting that world, and it's like there's just a lot of easy money. There's like late nights and all this kind of, you know, every girl that worked there was an actress and every right. guy that worked there was a musician or a comedian or an actor. And it was just really like, it was like, it was a cool scene and a was cool that, time. Was that good for you? Because you think about this duality, right? This I, artist I, is very introspective. And then at the same time, around actresses, around actors, putting it on stage every night behind the bar. Was that healthy for you? You know... I think it really was. Yeah. I look at it now, like where I am now, like without that kind of experience, I don't know that I could do what I do now and, and be, a, I mean, I think I could, it would, it would take me longer to kind of speak that language. Yeah, yeah. But I also just understand, I mean, I think if you've ever worked in a bar or something, you understand things like the shift drink, mm. family meal, yeah. roll ups, things that just words that don't mean anything to someone unless they've worked in that world, right. you know? And, and for a long time, I was always in the back of the house because I had long hair. And so, you know, <laughs> you couldn't like wait tables unless you put it in a ponytail up in a hat or something, you yeah. know, when I was in college. Which so, they do now. So That's a lot of my a lot of my gigs in, when I was in college were waiting tables because they were like, hey, your hair's too long. I mean, or, or being, sorry, I couldn't even wait tables. I'd be in the back making salads or being like the, you know, prep cook or something yeah, because yeah. that was where the guys that had long hair went. And then if you, you know, had a nice fraternity guy short haircut that they could put you in the bar it didn't matter if you could make drinks because you were only just pulling a lever on a frozen drink machine right. and popping off tops of, of, of pacificos you know in these yeah. like desert bars in arizona but <laughs> but i learned a lot and then i think what it did is i i bought a bunch of books i've always been a person who's studied a lot so i bought yeah. a bunch of books on like you know the boston's guide to bartending and the harvard's you know guide to bartending and yeah. all these things and i started really studying so when it came time for me to help with the menu at the standard, I had 
So you'd already been studying that. Yeah, I had been, oh, I had been looking okay. at stuff and like kind of like trying to figure out like how I was going to get back into bartending. And I felt like I was going to be getting interviewed. I needed to have this huge breadth of all these like cocktail recipes. Sure, sure. The reality was I didn't. I, did, I got interviewed. I never even made a drink. From, you know, most of the time now you go and stage somewhere and you would get behind the bar. They'd see what kind of bartender you were. This guy just hired me off the street. He, and he was like, he just liked that. He liked my T-shirt I had on or something. You know, <laughs> he was like, oh, those are cool vans. Where'd you get those shoes? Yeah, and that right. was like our conversation. You know. And then it was like, do you know anyone else who I could hire? And I had a bunch of musician friends. So I was like, oh, yeah, I got tons of guys who are looking for jobs. And they became like, you know, my barbacks and yeah. other servers. Built and, a posse. Oh, yeah, we had a total posse. It was all a bunch of guys who played music and friends. And it was a really, really great time. And I made, I think one thing that really stuck out to me, and it's a term that's really used lightly now. I hear it all the time. Okay. Bar family. Hmm. You know, people talk about their family, yeah, you know, the bar yeah. family. And like, well, we didn't call it that, but it was. It was a total family. We hung out all the time. If we weren't working together, we were, you so know, hanging out. we were all hanging out, going to the beach, going to, to the pool, doing whatever we did. And, yeah. and we also, like a family, we had a lot of interpersonal, like, strife and dynamics. Like, you're screwing somebody one week, and then you're you're not ever going to talk to them again the next week, right. and then you're back together the next week. And it it's was a hell like, of a soap opera, it isn't it? It was such a soap opera. And you know what? business still is oh yeah it's a total soap opera god because alcohol make, just heightens all the emotions and anyway. it does and it's just like you know, there's a lot of pressure in these jobs and like you know you're trying to be the best you can be you want to make your money you want to do your things like there's an ego involved if you're you know there's no bartenders that don't have an ego i mean you want to put your glass out there you want people to go this is amazing you know it's like you're on stage like you yes. said yeah and i think just this business there's a lot of that I think if you get caught up in it, and I'm guilty of it, I have, you know, at times, and it's it's taken the joy out because, you know, all that little stuff doesn't matter. In the end, you'll look back on it, you won't even remember that stuff. Yeah, you'll remember those really great connections you had with people, or that funny story you heard from that guy at that bar, or that one joke that somebody told you and it just stuck with you because it was so un PC or whatever <laughs> it, it was. Stuff, yeah, yeah. And those are the things that you'll take away, and I have to remind myself that sometimes when I get like in the thick of it all i'm going man it's just you know you're trying to please everyone and please yourself and sometimes it's just you know it's like anything else in life it's not that easy now that i have a kid it's a lot easier for me to like step away from my situation yeah and say you know i've got the most wonderful gift in this kid that i just love more than anything in the world if everything fell apart tomorrow still have i would it. still be lennon's dad yeah and so it doesn't matter and when I, when I remind myself of that, it's like all that other stuff just kind of melts off. and I can just It's a very Buddhist kind of zenful attitude. Is that it's like, throw at me what you will, world. I'm in this moment and I'm still appreciating the love around me. Yeah. Because that's ultimately what it is. It is. And, I, and it does sound like, it's, like it sounds great. And I try to achieve it. And it's, it's difficult because it's hard. You know, we all have like things that we're trying to do to put our companies, move us, you know, move up or, yeah. you know. Oh, so much, show our man. worth to our bosses or people that are, yeah. you know, our companies. You know, and I work for a very big company, so it's like you know, it's it's an, it's it's been an interesting change for me, and it, it's I've I've learned a lot. You know, it's really been I'm very grateful for all the ups and even the downs and things that happen. It's like not that there's been a ton of downs, but just you, you know, just all both, you gotta have you can't yeah. have one without the other. Like, yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't even know you're up. Except that's exactly right. It's all about contrast, right? Exactly. Like, is that green or dark green on the wall? I don't know. I so, can only tell because of the white next to it. But what? What? So how did you make your? So it sounds like you're building this kind of probably credibility, this plethora of knowledge behind the bar, understanding more about the history of cocktails. What brought you back to Texas? I came back because of music. 
I had actually kind of, I had left the standard at one point when I started like getting to the point where I was touring enough and making enough money to like to leave. I, mm-hmm. I did. Now, mind you, I made less money when I left behind the bar uh, for I, sure. Yeah. yeah, and it was. I, I, sometimes I would look back and go, "What was I thinking?" You know, like, I could have kept that gig because it was such a. I had shifts that everybody wanted, and I didn't have that many of them, so they could I could always get covered. But it was a point of pride to me to to only play music mm-hmm. and to like pay my rent and pay all my bills by doing something that I had wanted to do since I was a, a baby. I, I want. I That's started getting the music at like. I have videos of me as a four-year-old boy sitting in front of my uncle at Christmas, who he just gotten in a guitar. I've got, I'm surrounded by presents all around me, and all I'm doing is honed in on him playing this guitar. And it's funny, I saw that footage later and went like, wow, that's that was something that was in me at a very young age. And I didn't really even know it. Yeah. And it's funny Your because, like I said, it. I haven't been playing much lately, and I've been feeling like something, you just, you know, sometimes you just get that feeling in your life like something's missing. Yes. And I haven't been able to put a finger on it. What is it? Is it that my parents live so far away and I don't have my parents around? Or is it my sisters live on the Pacific Northwest and I don't have my sisters around who I love, my family, you know? And I realized, like, no, it's just, it's music. It's been something that I've had for so long, and I've kind of, I've let it take a back seat, which yeah. is totally fine. But I've actually like kind of just not uh, put my heart and effort into that. Right. I've put my efforts into you know things for work and things for being a dad, and that music thing is kind of something I've, I don't want to say stepped away from, but recently in the last like two weeks, yeah, I have like a come to Jesus for myself, like looking in the mirror, just going like almost like tearing up. I went and saw Taj Mahal at um, Green Hall with. Chris Bostic. Oh, killer. And I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, this is what's missing from my life. It's not just hearing music, it's being part yes. of the song. And not even trying to be famous or trying to be on the cover of Rolling Stone, but just getting up in a room with something that you wrote that means something to you, yeah. singing a song or telling a, you know, or, or playing someone else's song that like takes you back to this time in your life when eighth grade, summer camp, or whatever it is, that makes you feel there's something inside that nothing else can really do that. So going back, because I think Lennon is a perfect, it's a symbol. It is. It represents love, because John is all about love. Yeah. You know, he represents <laughs> totally. the love of a father to a He kid. knows that, too. It's funny. He talks about, I'm named after a very famous musician named John Lennon. It was in the Beatles. That's like, amazing. It's pretty funny. Like, he's proud but, of it. But that, which is an amazing thing. It's a great thing to bear, to brandish as a name. But, like, the, the, I'm going through the same thing. The season just changed. The weather's fucking shit. It really is. Should yeah. be colder. It should be darker, drearier, and I realized that my love—not my wife, who I love dearly, not my dog, not the business—but my other love, tapping me on the shoulder again, and you can't say no. And that's what music is. It calls you back. It is a lover. It is a mistress to life. You know, yeah. and and you just can't. You watch a band, and that, typically that's what does it for me. Is I'll see a great band or great performance, like. Yeah. Got to get back up there. Got to go get back in the game. You know. And you know, I, I I think for me at this point, it's not about getting in the van with a bunch of dudes and like taking off, yeah. like heading towards the sunset, like I had for so many years. Because there's so many times where we just didn't even know where we were going. Right. We were just going, and we were going full speed. You know. And I think now, I just want to make music with friends and people that I that I look at and respect peers and, and musicians. And I want to write music with people, and I want to. Just sing and perform it. I want to do it for the joy of it. Yeah. Because when I the the doing it for the finances or, or playing the gig in Midland, Odessa to keep your cell phone on, those gigs started to take the joy out of it for me. Where I really realized, like, oh, you know. And it's kind of how I started going back to 
the bar world and yeah. like looking at like I went and got a job with Austin Specialty, which is a distributor of some beer here in town. That's got, they do amazing stuff. They're they got you know Strange Land brewing a bunch of really great breweries that they, mm-hmm. they represent. And I got into that and started kind of learning about the marketing of that, and which led me over to another spirits company called Vive. Vive, okay. Vive was like yeah. an acai infused spirit. Yes, sir. Started working for them a couple years ago, and it and the goal was to get a job with Jim Beam. I mean, it really was at that point. I was like, it, Vive is in Chicago too, isn't it? Vive is a uh, Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There's a, there is one I'm thinking of that's from from Chicago. But anyway, so you you step from the bar, and this is a really interesting kind of common tale for a lot of people that they're behind the bar, hit distributor world, hit brand world. So you talk yeah, I think about, it's somewhere in there. I hit like. I hit like bar manager world, <laughs> yeah, which is like right. you realize really quickly, like oh my god, like I've just I just went into making like less money and working more hours with yeah. like a ton more drama, yeah, oh yeah. Which then I split and went into you know just playing music exclusively, and then as I realized like wow, the bit, I'm working harder and I'm looking at my tax returns each year and they're getting smaller, yeah. But I'm sell, but I'm playing for bigger crowds, but I'm selling less records and less stuff because people just are buying less things, exactly. exactly. So you know, in 15 years, the business had completely changed. I still wanted to do it, but I was like, wow, this is like the, the financial parts of the business are going away. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, I had a child. I had, when I had my son, at that point, I was at, at John Popper had come and asked me to be part of this Dusk Gray Troubadours band that he was going to do. And we we're going to go make a record in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And it was like a dream come true because John was someone that I looked up to. And I, I had a moment in the 90s seeing the Horde Festival saying like, wow, it would be just amazing to be able to play with people like this, you know, that are this this kind of high this at this you know high point of their craft yeah and then here i am years later in a hotel room in austin writing songs with this guy for Isn't that you know, crazy a blue shovel record or for this record for this other project and i thought like okay this is what i've always wanted and then we got the the tour bus and got on the tour and got those big gigs going out and playing these bigger shows and then in the middle of it i was my i had a newborn son at home yeah and i was feeling like this this like oh my god is this it like i've been trying to do this my whole life this this is looking like success to me and i'm like i'm like I'm sad and like sitting in my bunk on my tour bus, like thinking about you know sitting on my cell phone, just like wanting to listen to my kid sleep, you know. And it was just such a surreal experience. But it, I always had come back to, to to you know what helped me to pay my bills before, which was getting behind the bar, getting in the restaurant, and that and that hospitality industry basically Absolutely. you know like helping and i think when you're in a band you're still in the hospitality industry sure. oh, yeah. you know what i mean you're 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 providing the entertainment you're a host you're, you're driving people to drink on purpose you know? yeah and so and somehow i i knew that there would be something at one point we were playing at this festival and i'm looking around and I'm thinking to myself like i just need to make a change i need to like you know this business is like i'm working harder to make less and that whole thing i look around and kid rock was playing at this festival as well mm-hmm. and there's like these trucks on the side and they had these big Jim Beam things on the side of it. And I thought like, now there's a business that never goes out of style. Yeah. When things are great, let's celebrate. Let's have a cocktail. When things are shit, let's commiserate. Like, I need a drink. Yeah. So there's kind of like, it's almost like I thought like a recession-proof industry. Totally. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that every year is going to be a record year, but because they're going to have ups and downs in this business yeah, just like course. any other one. But I think it's but one of those But to your point, it, as the market dives, booze doesn't ever dive as bad. Yeah. Because you have... How else are you going to deal with shit? Yeah, right? exactly. Talk it out like a normal person? Fuck and I started out. talking to a friend of mine named Brooks Jorgensen who was working at, at Glaciers and was and he was like running the spirits for, for Glaciers, which is now Southern Glaciers for the state of Texas. And he yeah. started, like, I, I mentioned, I was like, I saw this Jim Beam, you know, thing. And he goes, 
well, I know, you know, Jim Beam's one of our products. We can, you know, definitely like, and it, we start on that path of like, I'm going to go work for these guys. Was it something about Beam specifically? I think that like, for some reason, that brand, just being a Southerner, there was yeah. something about that brand. Bulletproof brand. You know, just, you know? I, I'd seen that brand for so long. And even if I wasn't, you know, at that time, I wasn't really drinking Beam. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of, I was into tequila and, when I did drink whiskey, you know, it would be like Crown Royal. Right, or, you yeah. know, it was like kind of Whiskey-ing weird. Whiskey air quotes. Right? Yeah, yeah, things that like you would mix in a big cup, you know, yeah. and like put a bunch in. And, you know, you weren't trying to taste it. You are just trying to catch a buzz. And, and I think, um, you know, whiskey wasn't that cool 15 years ago. You're right. Yeah. It was like all about vodkas and, you know, unique tequilas. And, you know, I remember it being like a big deal when like the Cabo Wabo tequila. I was like, this is Sammy Hagar's tequila. This is so awesome. Yeah, you know, yeah. and. That kind of idea, even though I'm not saying that it is or isn't, it isn't. <laughs> no, it's not bad. But I, I just it is uh, what it is. I, I think mean, I've learned also a, one thing you know. is, that, is that, and it's something that told me, that somebody told me. I can't remember who it was, but it was like, you know, don't ever talk about other like competing brands because you might be working for them someday. Oh yeah, you know, and I right. know so many people who are, are you know not where they were two years ago, and they're with a competitor, and that's also a big part of this business like we were talking about. Yeah. You know, like people will jump and. Go from ship Revolving to ship. And, yeah, it's like part of it is, you know, you're always, the grass is always greener on the other side. And part of it is, it's also about finding that right fit. Yeah. You know, like, it, it, yeah, it's a job and you get paid, but it needs to be a fit, just like a band. It's, a, it's the same. You know, it's, it's like a relationship. Love. It is. It's got to be There's so much to it. So when and I'm learning you... some about it. I'm learning, I'm learning about it still so much. And I have so much to learn yeah. still about it. I, really well, yeah, do. I mean, Beam's, Beam Suntory's Centauri, portfolio is massive for one. And you guys have some of the best bourbon specifically like on the planet oh yeah so how did you kind of stepping away and somebody from glazers they're like hey you need to talk to my buddy at bean how did that whole thing work out where you got connected with them i don't i don't really know i think at some point he was like there's a job there at this point i've been working for vive yeah and and, and i and i really liked a lot of the people that i worked with at vive but it was a very difficult sell sure especially for me here in texas because this is the land of Tito's and Deep Eddie. Yeah. And so they were really specific, like, you know, don't call it a, t- a tequila. I mean, don't call it a vodka. Right. Um, so it was like a, it was a, you know, spirit, I'll say infused spirit. But the reality was that the competition was so fierce for that kind of uh, a flavored spirit in yeah. this town with, I mean, uh, there's two words, ruby red. I know, right? <laughs> you know, it pretty much stomps out everything and else. sororities, that's the other Yeah, thing. and so, <laughs> you know, I think I, I also thought like, and this at this point also I had started really discovered bourbon and was really starting to to seek it out and, and learn about it on my mm-hmm. own. And um it's cool. Whiskey's just whiskey's just cool. It's I think it's something that's like it's just something that it keeps coming back around and it will always have its come back again. And it's it, our you know, genre, Aaron. It, it is. is America's genre of booze. Well, yeah. The thing we've it's the only thing we really made. Yeah, that's the only thing exactly we've done. It. America's native spirit. That's I don't right. think I I never realized that until Adam Harris, who's our whiskey ambassador, yeah. he's like, he started hammering home. Like, this is the only thing that we can hang our hat on. Everything exactly. else was made by somebody else somewhere else. And I was like, well, shit, I never even thought about that. Like, well, right. this is our, this yeah. is our stuff. This Maybe is really- Applejack we got, but no one gives a shit about that as much. <laughs> yeah, know? it's just, you know, there's something really cool about it. And I think, you know, I've been very blessed to sell these, this portfolio and these brands. There's yeah. some really cool stuff. And it's just, it's, 
it's enabled me to, to travel around and to meet some incredible people. I work with some some people. Like I said, I'm a luxury specialist for Beam, and yeah. I handle like kind of the higher end part of the portfolio. What are, what are a couple of the the SKUs from the higher end of the portfolio? Uh, Bakers, Bookers, Baker, oh, Makers, yeah. Makers Forty Six, yeah. all the Knob Creeks, dude, all the good stuff. Um, El Tesoro, yeah, Trace Generations, Centauri, Habiki, Akashu, not a Toki, not shabby. Not you know too all shabby, these, like yeah. you know this. Oh yeah, I mean Lafroig. Yeah, I mean you just it, it just keep going. You, you got know? a it's good like, label going on. Yeah, you know there's a mean? lot of really, and you know what the funny thing is, is there's a lot of like sleepers in there too, which are like names maybe that you're like, oh, like we were. I was having a conversation today about Jim Beam Black. And oh, I love it. Like, One of know, my favorites. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a dark horse, you know. It's I actually, funny enough, the way that I found out about Jim Beam Black, or kind of attached myself to it, was I was. Talking with Fred No at one point, who's Jim Beam's great grandson, yeah. master distiller at, at Beam's, and um, all these people, he he had a, a barbecue at his house, and we're all hanging out, hanging in his man cave, and it was like kind of like you know an onboarding thing with the yeah. company. We get to meet the family behind Beam, and it was so cool. amazing. I mean, we're yeah. at his house; it was incredible. And everyone's asking all these questions about like, you know, like we're nerding out, right? You know, right, asking right, right. about like, oh, the wood, and you know, oh, hey, is this, and you know, all these like questions. And at the end, he's like, does anyone else have any other questions? And I just I'd had a couple of bourbons already. <laughs> Enough to ask a stupid question sure. like this. And I just said, well, you can obviously drink anything you want. What do you drink? You know, what is the guy who, whose father started Booker's and Knob Creek right. and Basil Hayden, all these like crazy iconic bourbons. Like, what do you drink when you come home from work? He goes, I drink Jim Beam Black. Yeah. And that just floored me. I was like, wow, Jim Beam Black. Like, that's only a couple of dollars more than the, the white label. Yeah. You know, in my, my mind, I started doing it like, wouldn't you be drinking the expensive stuff? Just And, and the other was like, no, he just really liked the way it tastes. I do. T- it's so good. And, and I drink it like that's my go-to. Yeah. I finished half a bottle for Thanksgiving last year and everybody <laughs> looked at me like, how did he do it? I was like, because it's delicious. Because that's smooth. <laughs> it's it really, it really, you know, and that's the thing is like lots of people on the show, a lot of chats, a lot of products, but no, legitimately Jim Beam Black for the price, I can, I implore many people to find a bourbon for that price that tastes that rich. No, I agree completely. And it's forty five. I mean, so it's ninety proof too. I think, which makes it even just a little bit edgier, you know. And that really, really resonates with me. That's eighty six. Oh, eighty six. Yeah. Even better. Even better. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's you know I just I think it's just, and there's a lot of great products with that. And, you know, a, a lot of the cool part of this job. I've got guys who who do the same job I do in different towns yeah. and Houston and Dallas. I've got some you know buddies that. I am Scott and Frank that, and it's this this whole crew of people that and they're all basically we're in like the top markets for bars. It's yeah. Portland and Seattle and Minneapolis and San Diego, Los Angeles, Denver, Phoenix, and they're just some of these like most unique, talented people. And I'm learning a lot just from them. We're starting to get together as a all these people who do the same job. They're like yeah. luxury specialists. We're getting together in these big groups and doing these trainings and going and learning all this. Yeah, and it's just like I'm learning so much from them. It's crazy because they're just, they all come from these really diverse backgrounds. They're not like, I've been in the business the whole life. They've, they've come from these other places. If it was the craft beer world or these other, some of it was just event, you know, planning or whatever. Right. And they all bring like something cool to the table. I think my, you know, we all have like a little thing that we do. Like mine is a little bit more music background. Sure, sure. Um, and there's other guys who have a lot more, like they come from a little bit more of a distributor background or a production background, right. event production. And, but it's just, 
it's cool because there's a whole like little group of people that we all have this odd connection. We don't live in the same town, but we communicate via email and text. Well, and it's have a, a, it's a new posse, man. It is. It's a cool. You know? It's it's my crew. It yeah. is. It's your crew. <laughs> and so you know, my luck specialist. Your luck specialist. I like it. I like you guys. Probably have golden jackets and shit. No, we don't. Like I. I, I but I do have a, le- a black leather jacket. See, that's I about. I get made fun of a lot by the other guys that, and girls that I work with because they're like, "What are you wearing?" You know, it's like we all have a very different style because our markets are so different. You know, yeah. I mean, like what happens here and what happens in Dallas. Totally, I mean, they're different. just so different. Different people. They're so different, and it's yeah. like even the products that we're kind of you know attaching to. I think here we get a lot more of the bourbon and some tequila, and obviously like the old granddads of the world and things like that. I mean, God. we've got some real local support with. JR from Vox and yes, all these people who are like, you know, JR's got like an old granddad tattoo on his I arm. I beg you to go into Vox without getting a shot of old granddad <laughs> just placed in front of old you. Old granddad yeah. bonded. Yeah, we call incredible. it, let's, let's bond. Yeah. That's what I say when we go in and it's, there's some bonding that's going on there it's quite amazing, often. It's amazing, I'm like really lucky. I've got some of the most incredible people that I work with here in town. I was a little worried when I came into to this position just because i knew it was going to be such a huge commitment yeah and i wondered like how can i will i be able to mold my life after you know living a life that's been so all over the place and i haven't gone the traditional route yeah will i be able to like assimilate into that and you know i mean i guess some days i still ask myself that question but for like, like there's i'm just it's so neat to be able to see a different kind of way of life and just a a different way of um just i I'm communicating with people on a different level because I'm lear- I'm passionate about it. I'm learning so much more about it. And yeah. so I think when you start to know a little bit more about it, you're you're a little bit more vocal about not what you know, but a little bit more apt to jump into a conversation about it because you're not worried about like, oh, I'm going to get like, they're going to ask me a question that I don't right, have the answer right. to. Um, and I think, you know, it's just funny. It's like I've got these, this incredible like community of people around here who are just, they're doing some like, amazing stuff. Yeah. Like today I was at, Townsend and Garage and yeah. Lonesome Dove and Killer Pesce and Perlas and you know you know talking about the Black Heart and yeah. what they're doing over at Staygold and at Whitehorse. I mean, I, I I kind of regretting that I just named any places at all because I don't want to leave any out because yeah. there's so many. There's I mean, too ma- almost I, too many. Avelina yeah. and like you know just all these places and you know Backbeat and just places that you just you kind of walk in and you feel like you're taking someplace else and I don't know that I would be able to make those kind of relationships if I hadn't worked worked with Beam yeah. for this, this year and a half or if I was still just playing music and going in those places it wouldn't be the same because I have a different kind of perspective on like what's going on and the programs are doing and the way the menus have been put together and all these things and there's just it's it's I guess in a long roundabout way what I'm trying to say is when I left music I was worried about leaving the like art behind. Yeah. And then I discovered that there's this huge art community that exists in the hospitality business and in restaurants and bars. Like there's a lot of creativity that Absolutely. goes into it. Construction, composition. And it's so, there's so much more to it. And it's, it's an art. Yeah. I mean, when I'm sitting in front of someone and they've just constructed something that's out of thin air and all these things and different, you know, ways that they've made their own bitters and done all these you know, fat washed or whiskey, whatever it is. And by the time it like gets to you and you're, they've told you this whole story, you're like, wow. And then you taste it and it's not even what you would have expected. It's something yeah. else. And it's another flavor that maybe you've never even experienced because technically you've never had that, right? right? You've yeah. never had that combination in those amounts in a glass that way. It's something brand new and fresh and neat. And it's like, 
wow, this is like your gallery. Like you've just clicked up the light. Like if you're at the Roosevelt Room, where yeah. like there's the light, yeah, yeah. you know, like, and the light comes on over this like portrait or painting that they've done, and they hand it to you, and you're like, wow, I feel bad kind of drinking this. It look, looks so amazing, you know. It's a performance. Every it night's different. Every way in which you connect. And I relate to that, and I, I think that's something that when I start to feel like, wow, I'm like, I'm working a real job, and I'm not doing these, you know, some of the things that I love doing, which are painting and writing and yeah. playing music and all kinds of because I just haven't had the time to squeeze that in. Um. I realize that there's a whole other part of it. That there is like a lot of, you know, creativity that goes into it. And, you know, a lot of things that I do are things that, that I sit down with my friends who happen to be, you know, bar managers or, you know, running programs yeah. that I'm lucky enough to call friends. And I sit down with them. We talk about what it is they want to achieve and how it is I can help them to do that rather than like, hey, I'm in here to push some, some juice on you. And I think the difference is with all, also with this company is that we have a lot of things that people want. So I don't have to come in and go like, Absolutely, yeah. hey, you know, I really need you to pick up this maker's mark. Because they're like, yeah, we're going to have that forever. We had it since we opened and, it's, you know, we're Why always going to have that, you yeah, know. And, absolutely. And, I, and I think there's something that it's pretty cool about that. It's not know? bad you walk into any place and they already know you and they already know your products and they already love your products. Yeah. And I think they, I'm very grateful for that. Because it's like, that's, I, and I'm again, I loved working for Aviv. It was yeah. such a unique company. And like I, the way I met the owners was surfing in, in LA and, it was like this kind of really cool way that we met. And yeah. so it was a neat kind of story. But I think with, um, I also realized that that was a very difficult thing to go in and, and walk and explain to people what it was. And it's, it is nice to be able to say like, oh, you guys have basil hay? Beam. Yeah. I didn't oh, know yeah. you had I didn't know y'all had Altasoro. Like, yeah. oh man, I love Altasoro. It's my mom's favorite tequila, whatever. It's like. You start hearing those kind of things, and it's like, oh, you know, that's that's cool. That's that's something that the Beam family and the folks at Suntory they've been like working on for a very long time. Yeah, since great seventeen eighties. So you so know, it's, it's too bad. Right. I mean, it's, it's been this amazing career. You have had all these different chapters, visited all these places. There's there's one last question I've got for you that I think is interesting, and we think about cycles and we think about repeating our father's tracks, for example. You think Lennon's going to do the music thing too? I think... You know, I don't know. You ever think about that? I do. I definitely do because he's he's going to school at Zilka Elementary. Yeah. And he's going to school with a lot of like people that are musicians, kids. Uh, like yeah. my buddy uh, Bart Crow, who's like a Texas songwriter. His son is like my son's best friend. Mm-hmm. And his name is Towns after Towns Van right. Zandt. Yeah, yeah. And here he is, Towns and Lennon. We've got another good friend uh Whose son is named is Strummer after Joe Strummer, uh-huh, yeah. and Ben Queller, Ben Queller's kid goes to school no there, shit. and uh, you know Andrew Duplantis' kid from yeah. you know, the bassist from Sunvolt, his son Jack goes to school and is in my son's class. So there's all these musician influence, and it's Austin. Yeah, if you walk through the campus of his little elementary school, through, you know it's, it's a it's there's pictures of guitars everywhere. There's a picture of Charlie Sexton doing like a guitar class at his school. That's amazing. And it's so I look at that and I say like you know if you're gonna if you're gonna like do it, this would probably be the town to to do it in. Yeah, and I think in some other weird way, there's like something to be said for when when your parents and all your parents' friends do something that it's suddenly not cool. Yeah, it's true. Like, oh, my dad and all his friends, you know, they they play guitar. I'm going to go program computers. Yeah, that's as far away from what my dad and his. But then they always friends come did. back, man. You're right. I think that they will, and I think that he will have that. He has that musical thing in him, no question. Yeah, but and I'll support him whatever he de- decides to do. Because I know that the one way to like get your kid to not 
do what you want them to do is to Tell them try to change them. Yeah. And that is a great way for you, you know, for them to say like, nope, um, now I'm going to get really passionate about this thing you don't want me to do strictly because you don't want me to do it. Exactly. And I learned that because that's what I did. That's what we all do. It's what we all do. And I get to be you know, like my like, old man and then I end yeah. up being exactly like my old man. Yeah. And it's so true. It's like, I'm, I'm so lucky. I've got a great dad who's taught me a lot. It was tough, you know, the tough love yeah. involved, but a lot of it was like, this is stuff you need to learn in life. And I've been very lucky because I have that such an amazing relationship with him mm-hmm. and he's just, and he, you know, he's also a huge Jim Beam black yeah. fan. Amazing. <laughs> and we bonded, we bond over whiskey as well. You know, like we sit around and we'll have whiskey and we'll talk and just yeah. like, you know, I've got a really cool, got very cool parents. My mom just flew back to Georgia today. She came out just to take my son trick or treating. You know? So, so cool. I, yeah, my parents don't live in town, but they're, they're very involved in my life and definitely involved in my son's life. And yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm blessed. Living it, dude. I'm blessed. Even through whatever, you know, we all have our days. Mm-hmm. And you know everybody has their struggles, and they're like their things, and they go like, "Man, I just don't know if I can deal with this. I don't know if I can deal with that." And like, reality of it is, is that you can, because there's people who dealt with a lot worse, so much worse. Like oh, we're right. so spoiled in this world and society, we have so many things at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. Just the ability to like be able to look something up on the internet and find out all the information about the Taj Mahal in India, right, right. whatever it may be, you know, by just not leaving your house. I and mean, we were just so. But I think also it leads to this feeling in the world like you don't have enough. Yeah. Because there's so much out there that you see in all these other people. You know, Facebook's all about like, hey, look at me and look how great my life is. And Humble look how, bragging. Look yeah. how amazing my life is. And I've got the most incredible, you know, this or that or whatever it is. And the reality of it is, is that, you know, we're just posting our best bits. Yeah. And so they make everybody feel like, oh, well, man, I'm not like, I'm not that. I mean, I'm happy, but I'm not that happy. I guess oh, maybe I need to like, you know, question a few things or change a few things and you know it's i think we're all guilty of that i know i am and it's like i have to realize like i'm everything happens the way it's supposed to and the things that i stress about normally you know later on i look back and i don't even remember them exactly so it's just something that i try to i try to remember that when i'm getting overwhelmed by something if it's usually usually has something to do with like an it's getting close to derby day or something right right i'm like ah okay you know but then it all all comes back your father yeah no i and and i'm I'm lucky i've got a a great job and i don't really realize how much you know how lucky i am to be in this industry and then i'll hear like somebody talking about like my gig to someone else and i'm like god that sounds so awesome you know like well that's my thing you know that's (laughs) or i'll hear my son like at at school and he's like my dad works for jim beam you know i just think it's so funny these things it's just weird you know but it's same time it's really to be able to like sit here and drink some booker's 25th anniversary with you Aaron and talk about beam it's been a really interesting chat and i'm envious in a lot of ways man i missed out on nirvana and then utero tour <laughs> cheers thanks so much for chatting thank you for me, having me this is really cool i've been listening to a lot of the other ones and i i only had one goal and that was just to sound cooler than travis tober when i did this well i gotta punch you in the throat a bunch <laughs> right, dude, thanks, no, travis, i mean there's so many like like legends in town of uh, of the liquor business and it's just so funny to, like there's a whole like little crew of people and just a lot of people have a lot, a lot of respect for it. Yeah, it's like you know, lucky to kind of be in here having some fun and drinking this. This is a really great whiskey. Thank you so it's much killer, for dude. pouring me a dram with this. This is it's, it's delish. Pleasure. Want we'll to talk more about it? Thanks so much, Aaron. Next time. Well, there we have it. Beam Suntory's Aaron Beavers, the Texas market, still traveling the United States, traveling the world, singing those folk songs. Now I'm sure there's elements of rock. I'm sure there's 
elements of punk. Aaron is a well-rounded, astute musical gentleman, and it was great getting to sip some of the Booker's Anniversary edition with Aaron. Lovely whiskeys there at Beam. And as Aaron said, you can walk into any place in the world and you got a bottle of Beam or a Beam product and people are going to keep the door right open for you. So thanks everybody for listening to Show to V with Mike G. I'd like to wish Mr. Aaron Beavers happy birthday. It is Sunday today, but the episode will be released Monday. It's good having you in town and I hope you really enjoyed your birthday. No matter which season of Scrubs you're in, and I know there are probably 8 to 10 seasons, or what you thought of War Dogs is Todd Phillips going soft on us, please keep dancing.